Now this month we're re-examining the Lord's Prayer from a new and different perspective, courtesy of a book Nancy Merrill gave me called The Source of Miracles, Seven Steps to Transforming Your Life Through the Lord's Prayer by her friend Kathleen McGowan. And she bases these seven transformative steps on the rose with six petals found at the center of the labyrinth at Chartres Cathedral in France. Um, each petal corresponds to a specific line of the Lord's Prayer, line by line, which she says if we diligently practice with the full awareness of what each really means can create miracles for us and those we encounter every day in our lives through this business of living and for our entire collective world. And that full awareness part is the key. And all this month, we're seeking to find each one of those keys so that we can unlock a life experience more wonderful than we could have ever imagined. The pedals from left to right are faith, surrender, service, abundance, forgiveness, and overcoming obstacles. But you'll remember there are the seven steps in this book, right? Seventh step is in the middle. That is love. As love is at the center of our being, it is also at the center of all good. Love is the foundation for divine law and flows through God's every action, right? Now, the first Sunday of the month, we covered faith and surrender. Last week, we looked at the petals representing service and abundance. Now, today, I was supposed to present the fifth and sixth petals corresponding to forgiveness and overcoming obstacles, but I changed my mind. This forgiveness pedal. It's a doozy. It's quite a short chapter in her book, but looking at forgiveness, really looking at it, it takes time, and it takes patience, and it takes wisdom from a variety of sources. So I decided to give it a week of its own. By the time I finished writing this, I knew it was a lot to absorb. So if you find your mind reeling afterward, you're not alone. It came together using my hands, but where it ended up had absolutely nothing to do with my mind. Everything kind of fell together as though I had a plan. I just followed. When we get done with forgiveness, we're gonna tackle the next petal of the flower, which is overcoming obstacles. And then we'll move into love the first week of February. One a week. So here we are today. We're looking at the line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And McGowan says on page 127, the inability or reluctance to forgive is our greatest failing. It is the cause of the majority of personal strife as well as global war. When you hold on to anger, resentment, or disappointment in other people, you sabotage your own happiness. You use your precious energy on those negative emotions when you could be using that power to live a joyous life, attract abundance, and improve the conditions of the world around you. An inability or unwillingness to forgive constricts you, draws you inward, whereas forgiveness gives you the opportunity to expand and open the channels of abundance in your life. And then she says on page 126, and I really love this, forgiveness is the great destroyer of destructive emotions. 
That is so true. All of those twisting, turning, writhing, spiraling thoughts that fill our mind at all hours of the day, all of those emotions, those topsy-turvy thoughts stir up, it's all silenced. It's all calmed when you truly forgive yourself and others, circumstances, all of it. It is that truly part that gets tricky. And I assure you, forgiveness gets easier with repetition, but you need to apply a really concentrated effort on a regular basis to really get a hang of it. I actually shared this story a few years ago during the Gandhi King season for nonviolence, but it's the one I call to mind every time I think of the power of forgiveness. So Sergeant Isaac Ike Brown, he was a former special agent in the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, and his firstborn son, Ike Jr., he was killed in cold blood at the age of 21. His son and a friend were visiting the home of an acquaintance, and while the young men were seated on the couch playing video games, the killer, a man by the name of Takoya Kreiner, he was sitting quietly in a back room armed with a gun. The surviving witness said that all of a sudden he began hearing shots and instinctively dove to the floor that nothing had happened to provoke the attack. After losing his son, he found he had no one to turn to. His family was torn with grief. He was angry. He wanted revenge. He wasn't sure how he'd be able to face his son's killer in a courtroom when the trial began. And the trial did begin a full three years after his son's funeral. He finally had to face his son's killer and his anger was no less. He says, I always said, you hurt my child, you hurt my family, I'm going to get you. I'd even convinced myself God would want me to get you. But he comes out, and I'm seeing him for the first time, and I loved him. Never seen him before, didn't know his family, you know, didn't know his background, but I loved him. I still can't explain it. I didn't have the feelings I thought I would have. And choking back tears, he continued, I know for sure now it was God's love you know, God's grace. And later on, I would say to myself, wow, God's doing something in me that I didn't even know was taking place because I questioned myself. What's wrong with me? Why don't I feel the way that I thought I would feel? But through all my whys and wondering, I still trusted that God was in control. And I just forgave him. He showed up every day of that trial, and he was in the courtroom the day the young man was found guilty. He says, after Takoya was sentenced and he was taken off to prison, he was in my prayers. I kept wondering how it was going for him, how he was surviving, and so I would write letters, and I'd throw them away. I thought, you know, he wouldn't want to hear from me. He'd probably be thinking, I don't want to hear from you. I'm serving three life sentences. And then one day, I decided I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to send it to him. And I did just that. I said, hello, this is Mr. Brown. I hope things are as good as they can be. 
I hope all is well. And I let him know that he was always in my prayers and that we'd always be mindful of him and thinking of him. And at the end, I said, I'm going to ask you for a favor. I miss my son, Ike Jr., and I want you to fill in for him until we get to heaven. We can write, we can talk, we can laugh. And I said, if he didn't want that, I'd let him off the hook. I'd understand. It took about a month, but he got a letter back, and it said, Dear Mr. Brown, I now know that God is real. And I told God that if I heard from you, I would give my life to him for the rest of my days. You asked me to fill in for Ike Jr. I'm not qualified, but if you'll have me from this point on, you're my dad and I'm your son. Takoya Kreiner, that killer turned by love into a son said, this man, Mr. Brown, whom I've come to know and grown to love and to now call my dad, my father, you know, God has a plan. We're just characters playing a part in a role. This was an opportunity. God was using us as vessels to show the world what love truly is. At first it was strange, but over time, I came to realize that it was beautiful. And that love I had began to grow more and more. And talking about the first time that they were able to see each other in prison, he says, he came running up and wrapped me in a bear hug. I'm standing there in shackles and chains, and he wrapped me up and told me he loved me. And that's when I knew it was real. We're just flesh and blood mortal beings. We're given a lot of things we don't deserve, and that's what grace is. Just wow, right? But are we capable of that level of forgiveness, of that level of surrendering it all to spirit and letting God drive that bus like we've been talking about? The answer is yes. Each and every one of us here today can be that open to trust in spirit. It takes consistent choices, consistent actions, vigilance. Vigilance. I get these two words and I'm saying them back to back. Vigilance and diligence. Do you see why I went there? Vigilance and diligence, and that just dried up my tears, so I'm glad I messed up. See, the thing is, you have to let things be. Let them exist as events without attachment, without judgment, without question. Simply let things be what they are so we're free and able to let divine inspiration open our hearts to something more. Just let it be. And of course, while I was writing that bit, there was this song going through my head, right? I'm sure it's in yours as well. I think you all know it. That's the one. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, 
She is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. didn't know he was letting anything be, did he? He was ready to feel all kinds of painful emotions when Takoya entered the courtroom, but Spirit reached down and said, Hi, here I am. I'm love. Look what love can do. And he did. And McGowan says on page 129 of Source of Miracles, she says, By learning from these extreme examples, you will never have to repeat them. By learning from Ike and Takoya's story, we will never have to experience the pain that brought them together. And that is where this talk on forgiveness takes a complete pivot into a whole other book. So meander down another shelf of my bookcase with me for a minute, will you? Um, I talked about this one a lot in November, and I've used it multiple times throughout the last few years, but it's back because it's extremely powerful. The book is Radical Forgiveness by Colin Tipping. And the story, which is the first, entire first chapter of this book, it sums up everything I believe about forgiveness. Colin Tipping was originally from England, and he was living on this side of the pond in Georgia when his sister Jill and his brother John were visiting. And Colin said, as soon as I saw my sister emerge into the lobby of Atlanta's Hartfield International Airport, I knew something was wrong. She'd never hidden her feelings well, and it was apparent to me that she was in emotional pain. And after the greetings and the hugs and a trip to the hotel and all the other little things that we all do when people are visiting, right? At the first quiet moment they could find together, Jill told him that Things between her and her husband were near the breaking point. And this announcement really surprised him because he'd always thought that Jill and her husband were happy in their six-year marriage. Both had been married before, but this relationship seemed strong. And it's important to note that Jeff had three kids with his previous wife and Jill had four. So what's going on, Colin asked. Well, it's all quite bizarre, and I don't know quite where to begin, she replied. Jeff is acting really strange, and I can't stand much more of it. We've gotten to the point where we, we really can't talk to each other anymore. He's turned away from me, and he says it's all my fault. And what was the catalyst for all this, you may be asking? Paul's daughter, Lorraine. And remember that name, it's important. She had been in a really bad car accident about a year before in which her husband died. And ever since then, he'd been at his daughter's side anytime she needed him. He would drop everything to be with her. They spent long hours talking in, as she put it, hushed tones on the phone. And if she's visiting the house, it's the same or worse. They'd huddle together in quiet conversations which excluded everyone else. 
Jill said, I feel like she's become the center of his life and I hardly figure in at all. I feel totally shut out and ignored. What seemed strange to Colin was that it was completely out of character for Jeff because although he knew that Jeff was affectionate with his daughters, he'd always been even more caring and affectionate toward Jill. In fact, Colin found it difficult to believe Jeff would treat her so cruelly. He completely understood why it made Jill so unhappy and how Jeff's insistence that she was, quote, imagining it all and saying, this is a kicker, this will get you, she was making herself mentally ill with her paranoia. That made it so much worse for her. That kind of dials up calm down, doesn't it, folks? Because calm down isn't fun. Well, that conversation continued over the next day. And he began to get a picture of what might be going on from his radical forgiveness perspective. But he didn't say anything for two more days. Jill didn't know anything about Colin's spiritual journey over the preceding years and therefore had no clue about this radical forgiveness thing he was about to introduce her to. So tentatively, those two days in, he asked her if she'd be open to him giving her a different interpretation of what was happening. And she looked at him a little strangely, and then she reluctantly agreed. He said, what you're describing, Jill, certainly represents the truth as you see it. I have not the slightest doubt in my mind that this is occurring just as you say it is. But I want to look at what might be going on underneath this situation. What if, he said, beneath the drama, Something more spiritual was happening. Same people and events, but totally different meaning. What if your two souls were doing the same dance, but to a totally different tune? What if the dance was about you healing? What if you could see this as an opportunity to heal and grow? She's pretty confused, right? And then he asked the big question. Looking back over the situation, what did you feel mostly when you saw Jeff behaving so lovingly toward his daughter, Lorraine? Jill's reply, anger, mostly. Then frustration. And then after a long pause, she said, and sadness, I feel really sad. And beginning to cry, she said, I feel so alone and unloved. It wouldn't be so bad if I thought he couldn't show love, but he can, and he does, but with her. And, wise man that he is, Colin let Jill experience her emotions for a full ten minutes, because when we talk about the way we feel, emotions come up. And that's good. Let them out for a while, but then seek to find a parallel somewhere else in your life. And here's what I mean. As her tears began to subside, Colin asked, Jill, can you ever remember feeling the same way when you were a little girl? And without a moment's hesitation, she said yes, and then clammed up. And after some gentle nudging from her brother, she said, Dad wouldn't love me either. I wanted him to love me, but he wouldn't. I thought he couldn't love anyone but then your daughter lorraine came along colin 
He loved her all right. Why couldn't he love me? As the story goes on, she explains that she spent her whole life trying desperately to connect with her father until one day as an adult, when her mom admitted that she didn't think her dad was capable of showing love to anyone, including her. He was kind and gentle, but very reserved and generally not very expressing of his feelings. And this, this admission healed Jill a bit. She'd spent so many years in the shoes of that desperate little girl crying out for love and feeling like it was her fault she didn't get it. Like she wasn't enough for him to love. But then that one statement by her mom erased some of that pain. It wasn't ever about her. He simply couldn't love anyone. And then one day she watched through the window as Colin's daughter took her grandpa by the hand and led him through the garden and pointed out all the flowers and how later he sat her on his lap. The lap that she had yearned to sit on for all those long years and that little girl inside her in all her glory shined up her Mary Janes, those are shoes for the young folks, and reminded her of those old beliefs. If he could love Lorraine, why couldn't he love her? She wasn't lovable. It was her own fault he didn't love her. She wasn't enough and could never be loved. Colin wondered how to guide her further along in her forgiveness journey, but she called it herself when she realized the parallels between the two Lorraines. Lorraine her husband's daughter, Lorraine, her brother's child, then pointed out that both were also blondes and firstborns. And she asked him if he thought it was a coincidence, if there was a connection. Absolutely, he replied. It's the key to understanding this situation. And now it was time to put the pieces together for her. He said, let me explain how this works. This is a perfect example of what I meant when I said that we have to look beneath the drama to find a whole different reality. Looked at from a spiritual standpoint, our discomfort in any given situation provides a signal that we are out of alignment with spiritual law. And we're being given an opportunity in that moment, in that situation, to heal something. It may be some original pain or maybe a toxic belief that stops us from becoming our true selves. And remember what we said about our true selves, our contract with God, our promise from that first pedal in Kathleen McGowan's book. Um, that's our true self, the self we're supposed to come to know here in this human experience. To know this is to awaken to the divine within. And Colin Tipping says, we don't often see these signals of discomfort that come up throughout our lives from the positive perspective they're intended to awaken us to. Rather, we judge the situation. We blame others for what's happening. And it prevents us from seeing the message or understanding the lesson. And here goes Alvin. The chipmunks are coming out. It prevents us from healing. If we don't heal whatever needs to be healed, listen up, we must create more discomfort 
until we are literally forced to ask, what's going on here? Sometimes that message, as Jean is beaming at me from the row there, that message must become very loud or that pain extremely intense before we pay attention. In Jill's case, what came up to be healed was her original pain about her father not showing love. Colin said, this particular pain has arisen many times before in different situations, but because you didn't recognize the opportunity, it never got healed. And that's why having yet another opportunity, listen up, it's a gift. Doesn't feel like it, but it's a gift. So to paraphrase the next several pages of his book, as a child, she felt abandoned and unloved by her dad. And since she didn't receive that love she sought, she decided it was her fault, right? She was unlovable. And because she believed she was unlovable, her relationships through the years reflected that. People in her life repeatedly validated that belief in the form of one-sided friendships, Romantic relationships filled with infidelity or mistrust or jealousy. All sorts of messes where Jill's belief in her own unworthiness was validated over and over again. And then came that fateful day when her mom admitted that her father was incapable of demonstrating love and she realized it wasn't her fault after all and began to heal. And as she began to heal, her life reflected her new budding belief that she is worthy, that she has been all along, and she met a wonderful man, and she married him, and enjoyed six beautiful years with him. But then she saw Lorraine, Colin's daughter, come along and take that love that she was waiting for. That child came up who said, it's me. He didn't love me. She believed she wasn't lovable, and her unwitting husband began to validate her new-to-him belief. She believed she wasn't lovable, and she acted that way, and expected to be treated that way, expected to. Life will always prove your beliefs right. Now, to make a long story short, and admittedly skipping over a lot of really important stuff, which we'll dig into during that workshop that I mentioned, um, if you want to come. Once she made sense of everything, this is cool, life rather effortlessly fell right back into place. Granted, Jeff had some ground to cover of his own before he could get to where she was standing, but I can say that this book was written in 2002, and I checked, they're still together. And what it comes down to is this, our souls are doing work for each other in the background, which we aren't even aware of, which brings us back to the source of miracles. And here we're wrapping it up. On page 132, Kathleen McGowan says, it isn't about you all the time. Sometimes people come into our lives because it's our duty to give them the opportunity the opportunity to fulfill their own promise to God. 
the chance to do the right thing. And now to Ernest Holmes, who said on page 263 of The Science of Mind, I am surrounded by pure spirit, by God, the living spirit. I am led, guided, and inspired by the living spirit of love and of right action. I am compelled to move in the right direction and to always know what to do, where, and how to do it. And here's where mine, my mind started going, wait, you're not planning this. If we believe what Kathleen McGowan says on pages 125 and 126 in The Source of Miracles, if we believe that an in, inability or unwillingness to forgive constricts you, draws you inwards, and forgiveness gives you the opportunity to expand and open the channels of abundance in your, in your life, and also that forgiveness is the great destroyer of destructive emotions. If we believe that, and we also believe what she says way back at the first pedal from page 70, back before your birth, you made a promise to fulfill a unique purpose in God's plan. And if we believe what Colin Tipping says in Radical Forgiveness, that beneath the drama and hurt and angst of any and every situation, there is a spiritual component that is gently, and sometimes not so gently, offering us opportunities to heal and release those beliefs about ourselves which are standing in the way of our happiness. And on top of these, if we also believe what Ernest Holmes said on 263 of Signs of Mind, I am led, guided, and inspired by the living spirit of love and of right action. I am compelled to move in the right direction and to always know what to do, where, and how to do it. Then we must, as difficult and daunting and wall-putting-upping, you know what I mean, it's that concept that makes you immediately shut it out, right? We must really, truly sit with. We must believe that everything that happens is God's will. Everything, the hurts, the slights, the patterns, it's all God's will. And we can truly and simply let it be. And so we bring today's talk to an end. Let's review. Our Father in heaven, which is both within and without us, your name is holy, and we honor that by seeing only the good with which you've surrounded us, for we know that good is all there is. May your kingdom come. May heaven come to earth through our hands and hearts as we do only that which is your will. As in heaven, so upon earth, we know that all that is, is good. And to further amplify that good and bring your heaven to earth, we commit ourselves to bringing forth only more joy, peace, health, and happiness in our every thought, word, and deed, inspiring others to do the same. Give us today our sufficient bread as you have each and every day of our lives. We know that your very nature is giving, and so it is with gratitude that we serve as your instruments knowing that even as you guide us, you are fulfilling our needs and wants with limitless abundance. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For we know that it is all in your hands, that debts and debtors all serve a role in your divine plan. 
and we are grateful to be your instruments within that plan. Recognizing the role you've given us, we release the burden of guilt we've carried. Realizing that you have guided us. And recognizing the role you've given others, we release them from our perception of debt. For we know that you have guided them as well. And we say, so let it be. And so it is. <laughs>